Well, today we're starting a brand new series entitled Convinced. We're going to look at the life and death and resurrection of Jesus through eyewitnesses who were there in the first century. We're going to look at some skeptics, some people who doubted, some people who were disillusioned, some people who had lost their faith. We're going to look at how they went from being doubters and skeptics and people who were disillusioned to people who were convinced that Jesus was not only man, but that he truly was the Son of God. Now, I know some of you who may be here, you are a skeptic. You have a hard time believing that there was a man who was born of a virgin, who lived his life, who died a criminal's death, and that was rose again on the third day. I know you may have questions, you may have doubts, and truly, I'm not here to convince you, but I'd invite you to have an open mind and consider the possibility that what these first century witnesses saw and what they experienced could possibly be true. My prayer is that in this series and even today, that God would take you from being a skeptic to a believer. In fact, I've titled today's message, When, when Skeptics Become Believers. For you see, there are moments in time where we go from being skeptical about God to truly believing. And I just have been praying this entire week that God would speak something to you about himself and that you would be convinced because truly I can't change your mind. No one can. Each one of us, I believe, God has given us free will. And with that free will, we get to decide what we believe and what we think and how we should live. But I want to challenge you to come with an open mind. Allow God to speak to you. And part of uh, this moment is to give you a chance to just declare to God what you're convinced of. And so you should be receiving right now from our ushers a, a piece of paper that allows you to write down what you have been convinced of. And so I invite you to take hold of this, hold on to it. And at the end of service, there's going to be an opportunity for you to place this in our main lobby. There's a wall in our main lobby that will allow you to just declare to God what you've been convinced of. This is also a moment where you can put a prayer request and say, God, this is what is on my heart. This is what I'm praying for. I've yet to see the miracle occur, but I'm praying for it. I'm praying for the restoration of a relationship, a reconnection in a marriage, a job that has yet to come through. I want you to declare in faith what you believe God can do for you, what you can be convinced of. And so take a hold of this. I'll talk a little bit about how we can use this piece of paper to declare our belief and hope in Jesus Christ today. But today I want to share with you the story of a man, a man we see in the gospel of Mark, a man that although we don't know his name, we know his story. He was a Roman centurion. Now a Roman centurion was a man with a command. He was an officer and he was given the responsibility of supervising these, off, these other military officials, these other soldiers, and giving them direction. And this man was the man who supervised the crucifixion and death of Jesus. Now, this man was in Jerusalem at the time because he was under the direction of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was the governor and the prefect of the Judean province. He was there under the authority of the Caesar. And Pilate found himself in Jerusalem specifically during the days of Passover. And the reason why Pilate showed up with this centurion and all the other soldiers was because there was a tendency in those times for people 
to use the collection of people that would come together for Passover as an opportunity to create a riot. The sudden surge of population in Jerusalem was the perfect moment for people like Barabbas, who were Jewish zealots, to stir up anti-Roman sentiment and challenge people to go against Rome and to overthrow Rome. This was the context of the man that we'll learn about, this centurion. He was there, and his express purpose was to ensure that no one would raise a sword against, uh, against Rome, and that if anyone did raise a sword against Rome, that that voice was silenced and squashed. These Roman leaders, they were on a razor's edge. And Jerusalem was a tinderbox waiting to explode. This was the backdrop of the crucifixion of Jesus. It's the reason why when people gathered around Jesus, the religious leaders hated Jesus. And they realized this was the perfect moment to capitalize on the concern of the Roman leadership to get Jesus crucified. I'll give you a modern day example of what the tension was in that place and in that moment. Imagine for a moment that the city of New York received information that a riot was imminent over New Year's Eve. Imagine what that tension would be like. This was the context and the backdrop of the crucifixion of Jesus. And so I want to invite you to join me in Mark chapter 15. We're going to look at the story of the centurion who witnessed the death of Jesus. For you see, he noticed something, that Jesus was a different kind of man. So I invite you, let's look at Mark 15, verses 20 through, 22 through 39. We're going to look at some selected verses. We're going to lean into the word of God today. Open up your Bible, your Westover app. Let's look together. Verse 22. They, the Roman soldiers, brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. This was a place where people were crucified outside the city. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And then they crucified him. Verse 31. The chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. They wanted to be free. And they said, why won't you set us free as well if you really are, are that man? Verse 34. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his very last breath. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man is the son of God. Somehow, someway, in the process of supervising the death of Jesus, he realized that there was something different about Jesus. For you see, Jesus died different. In fact, I believe he died different because he lived different. But the good news is that Jesus died different so that we could live different. Jesus died so that we could have life, so that we could have eternal life. And if there's one thing that we can be convinced of today is that Jesus loves you and that he is here for you and that he wants to speak hope and life to you. That yes, he may have died, but he came back to life and you may feel like you're dead on the inside, but he can bring you back to life because that's the Jesus that we know. And I'm praying for those of you who are yet to be convinced 
that you will learn that in your own heart and in your own mind and that you would be convinced that Jesus was not only a man, but that he truly was the Son of God. So today I want to share with you three reasons why this Roman centurion was convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. Number one, Jesus endured the agony of the cross. Say endured. Jesus endured the agony of the cross. It says this in verse Verses 23 and 24. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And then he was crucified. In ancient times, there was a tradition in the Jewish culture to give wine mixed with myrrh to those who were condemned to die. Those who were on their deathbed so that they would forget their pain and their sorrows. It's actually documented in Proverbs 31 verses 6 and 7. It says give wine and medicine to those who are about to die so they can forget the misery of their life. And so these Jewish women who came to be with Jesus on his very last day. Yes, the disciples had left, but there's women who came. And what they brought with them is they brought with them wine and myrrh. And they appealed to these Roman centurion and this soldier saying, Would you let us give this to this man? And the Roman centurion said, Sure, go ahead. Because he knew that if Jesus took the medicine that he would be easier to crucify. But what did Jesus do? He said, no, I don't want this medicine. And so he went to the cross experiencing the full agony, the full pain, the full uh, experience of the cross. And I was wondering this week, why? Why, Jesus? Why would you do that? The best reason I can come up with is the fact that Jesus knew that we would suffer And he knew that he needed to experience the full pain of the suffering of humanity in order to be the one who could provide comfort and healing and hope to us when we are in difficulty, when we are struggling, when we are hurting. He chose to endure the agony of the cross so that when we would cry out to him and say, God, this is overwhelming, this is too much, this really hurts, he can say, yes, I know, I felt it then. On that cross. And I feel it today. The Bible tells us that Jesus. Was the first in many things. He was the first in in authority and in power. But he was also the first in suffering. Look at what Isaiah 53 says about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering. And he was very familiar with pain. Verse 4 says this. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. And yet. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Look at the hope that we discover in verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Because Jesus is wounded, he has the power and the authority to heal our wounds. This is what's echoed in Psalm 147, verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. I want to challenge you today. Give Jesus your pain, because he's already carried it for you. Today, you can unburden your pain to Jesus. Why? Because on the cross, he already carried it for you. There's a verse in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He says, if you connect with me, I'll carry your pain. You know, that yoke that he was talking about wasn't 
the, oak that, the yoke that was used in ancient times for animals to pull a plow forward. No, the yoke that he was talking about was the crossbeam of the cross. He bore our sin and shame, our wounds and our pain in his body on the cross. And he is here to tell each one of us, I can carry your pain. I can, I can lift your spirit. I know the pain that you're experiencing today. Just give it over to me. I've already carried it for you. In fact, at the end of our service, we're going to give you an opportunity during worship to come up and pray with someone on our prayer team. If you are burdened by pain, by difficulty, by disappointment, by a setback, our prayer team is going to be here up at the front. And they love to partner with you so that you can take your pain, your sin, your shame, your struggle, your difficulty, and you can lay it at the feet of the cross. You can give him all of that, and in turn, he'll give you love, peace, and joy, and reassurance. God is a God of unfair trades. Give him your pain today, and in turn, receive his peace. Let his peace come upon you. I believe we can trust a God like that. And then at the end of service, whatever you've been convinced of, whatever God has spoken to you about who he is, I want to challenge you to write it on a sheet of paper. I invite you to take a photo of it so you can remember this moment. And then there's a, uh, an art installation in our main lobby where you can roll this up and let this be a public declaration that Jesus truly is the Son of God. The second reason the soldier was convinced that Jesus was the Son of God is because Jesus asked his father for help. Look what it says in verse 40, 34. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's interesting is that this centurion no doubt had seen many men die, but he'd never seen a man die like this. <laughs> Instead of being like the other criminals who cursed the centurions, who would curse each other, who would, who would curse everyone around because they felt like they were being mistreated because they were facing a criminal's death. This was what was typical for people who were crucified back then. For you see, crucifixion is probably the worst death possible in ancient times. But Jesus, instead of cursing them, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He extended grace to so many others. We see Jesus died different. The other thing that he did is instead of uttering curses, he prayed to the Father in heaven. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now some of you may be wondering, this seems like a very strange prayer. It would be natural for Jesus to pray a different prayer. If you notice, Jesus didn't ask to, to get off the cross for Jesus knew that he came to the earth to live, to die, and to redeem us from sin. And so he didn't ask the Father to take him off the cross. He said, I just want your presence to be with me. Now you may be wondering, why was it that God abandoned Jesus on the cross? Well, it takes us a little bit of research and to understand that, that we need to look at the nature of who God is. And the one thing that makes God unique in our universe is that God is holy. And because he's holy, he can't be in the presence of sin. It's part of his nature. It's part of his character. So what happened in this moment? Jesus, the one who was sinless, 
became sin for us. And he paid the price for our sin. He took upon him the punishment of all the sin of humanity, yours, mine, and everyone else. He became the object of sin. He was sinless. And the punishment of sin was put upon him. And in that moment, the Father in heaven had to turn his face away. Not only had his followers left him, not only the disciples had left him, but the Father in heaven turned his face away for just a moment because in that moment, Jesus represented sin. This is why he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But what we learn in this moment is that Jesus gives us an example of what we need to do in hard times. Instead of running to other things, we need to run to God. Instead of running away from the pain, we need to run to God. Because God always shows up. In fact, I want to challenge us to call on Jesus. For you see, he's close as the mention of his name. All we have to do is say Jesus. In fact, I'm going to invite you right now to just say Jesus. Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. He's as close as the mention of his name. Often when we're in hard times, what we end up praying is, God, take me out of this moment. I've discovered over time that sometimes God doesn't take you out of the difficult moment. What he does is he shows up in it. He may not take away the hard moment, but he'll definitely show up. All we need to do is call on him. Biblical scholars say that there's an attribute of God, which means he's omnipresent, which means he's present all the time for us. And he's as close as the mention of his name. All we need to do is say Jesus and he'll show up. He'll show up in our painful moments. In fact, Elizabeth Elliot, she's the wife of the martyred missionary, Jim Elliot. She said this, joy is not the absence of suffering, but the presence of God. Sometimes we think blessing is when the suffering goes away. No, no, no. Blessing is when Jesus shows up in the middle of suffering. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but have no fear because I've overcome the world. He said, also, never, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He says, he didn't promise us a comfortable road. He just promised that he would be with us. And he is close by. And he wants us to call on his name and say, Jesus, I need you. What strikes me is this, is that Jesus was willing to die alone so we didn't have to. He was willing to be scourged and abandoned even by the Father in heaven, because of love. He saw your life and he said, she's worth it. He is worth it. I'm willing to die for them so that they can live. This Roman centurion saw that Jesus died different. The third reason this centurion was convinced is because Jesus saved others, not himself. Say others. Jesus saved others, not himself. Look at what it says in verses 31 and 32. These are the religious leaders. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Verse 32, those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Now Jesus, because he was God in the flesh, he had full authority under heaven. At a moment's notice, he could have called down every angel in heaven to assist him and to set him free from the cross. But what we learn from the gospel account is that Jesus never used his authority to benefit himself. You remember that story of the temptation of Jesus where Satan gave him an opportunity to turn a rock into bread? Did Jesus do it? No. But we saw when people are hungry, what did he do? 
He took the bread and he broke it and he multiplied it. Jesus never used his own authority for his own personal benefit. He knew that the authority given to him by God was supposed to be used to save other people. For you see, the mission of Jesus was to come and seek and save the lost. This was why he came. Many of us, we can have misconceptions about who Jesus was, but Jesus was the first in everything. He was the first in suffering, and he was the first to say, I'm going to use my authority to help others and not even save himself. This is the Jesus that we know. I just believe that the nails didn't hold Jesus to the cross. It was love. The nails didn't hold Jesus to the cross. It was love for you. In fact, I think while he was dying, he was thinking of you. He's saying, my children, I love you so very, very much. And I just hope that you would know me and that you'd see this example. This example of extravagant love and that you would embrace it. Jesus died different. He didn't save himself. He was willing to save others. And we actually capture this. Even in his very final moment, he saved a man who just a couple moments before had cursed him. Luke 23 captures it in verses 42 and 43. It says this, Then one criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man knew that he deserved to die. He didn't deserve hope and freedom and life. In fact, I think many of us are like that criminal. Jesus, would you remember me? Look at what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I wonder, I wonder in my own mind as this centurion who stood right in front of Jesus to make sure that Jesus would die, heard this conversation. And in the midst of the most intense agony, Jesus has the presence of mind to listen to a man, to deny his own pain, and to say, surely today you will be with me in paradise. Some of us, we think that God has forgotten us. I want to reassure you that even if he's silent, he's not absent. He's close. The centurion saw how Jesus died. He died different. He'd seen many people die, but he'd never seen the Son of God die. As you know, for some of the other gospel accounts, there was a sign above Jesus' head that said, King of the Jews. Something in the midst of that, he truly began to believe. This is why he said, surely this man, if there ever was a man that was the Son of God, this is the guy. This man who had been raised in uh, an environment and in a culture that had many, many gods. No doubt he had heard about the god Zeus and other gods, but he'd never seen any god do anything for him. But then he sees this man beaten to a pulp, even by his own hand, extend grace to him and extend grace to this other criminal. These people who didn't deserve it. But the fact that Jesus was willing to extend that to him because of that, that this man became convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. I want to reassure you that Jesus still saves. Let him be the Lord over everything. He still saves. 
He saved that man on the cross, and he wants to save you. And he's saying, look at the cross. Look at me. Jesus still has holes in his hands, scars in his hands, to remind you and I of what he suffered for us. And he's saying, I did this for love. I did this because I love you. So today as I close, I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. In fact, what I'd invite you to do is right now, stand to your feet, front to back, side to side, lay everything aside. We're about to step into a worship moment, a moment of prayer. But I don't want this moment to pass without giving you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Because saying yes to Jesus is the best decision of life. Here at Westover, we believe that saying yes to Jesus is as clear as A, B, C. A, admitting that we're sinners. B, believing that Jesus is Savior and Lord. C, confessing from our, from our heart and out of our mouth, out loud, that we want him to be the Lord of our life. And you can make that decision today. If you feel like there's a break in your relationship with Jesus, maybe you've wandered off. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. This is your moment. This is your moment. And you don't have to be fully convinced. Just give God a little crack in the door. Let him convince you. So I'm going to invite all of us to have a moment with the Lord. I'm going to invite us to bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here today and you want to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand on the count of three. You're not joining this church. You're saying yes to him. One, two, three. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Up in the balcony. Yes. Yes, sir. Up in the balcony. Sir, up in the balcony. Yes, ma'am. Up front. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There's one more step to this, and it's praying a prayer. In fact, I'm going to invite all of us to say this prayer together. Say it from our heart. It's not about the words. It's about our heart condition and saying yes to Jesus. Say this with me. Jesus, I need you today. I can't save my own life, but I know you can. Today, I put my faith in you. Forgive my sin. Give me hope. Give me life. Help me live different. Help me live like you. I give you my life for all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just said that prayer, congratulations. Welcome to the family of God. We invite you to text New Life to the number on the screen. Or you can talk to someone from our prayer team at the end of service. But right now I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. And here's the appeal. If you're facing an overwhelming burden. You feel weighed down by life and you want Jesus to carry it for you. You want to give that burden to him. This is your moment. We invite you to come as the worship team begins to lead us. Pray with someone else. Leave your burden here so you can live and have hope and have freedom. We invite you to lean into this moment Allow God to finish that work. Don't leave here burdened the way you came. Be willing to lay it at the feet of Jesus because he's already carried it for you.
Let's worship the Lord together.